Father God, just thank you so much for giving us the chance to come to your house, come into your presence and worship you, Lord. And let that be what our heart's desire is in this, in this time, Lord. So to truly open our hearts up to you and worship you for all that you do for us, Lord. Lord, be with us in this time. Let us hear your word. Let it impact our lives. Let us impact your kingdom. And say Christ in the prayer. Amen. So everybody's doing good this morning. Good. I'm glad to hear it. Uh, just a quick couple things. One, uh, for all of you who work vacation Bible school, thank you so much. It was a huge success. We saw five, I know of five kids who gave their lives to Jesus this past week. For some people are like, oh, wait a minute, that's kind of odd. But that's actually a huge blessing. Um, there are some churches that are scrambling to find people to help. Here we are having more people to help than we have people we're helping. Uh, so that's an awesome, awesome thing. Um, another couple of announcements really quick. Today, youth, I'm sure you forgot to tell your parents the 12 times I told you. But we are having a meeting regarding camp uh, to sign forms and stuff like that. So please be here at 5 o'clock in the youth room. What time? Where? There we go. Five o'clock in the youth room today, uh, so we can get all those forms signed and taken care of. I'll also have camp balances available um, if you need to know what that is, and we'll go over all those details again. Um, I think that's it. We're gonna have uh, the New Beginnings class is hosting a wedding shower for Tyler and Claire Barnard, um, and the fellowship hall is at four, four o'clock, and. The Young at Heart are having their social uh, this coming Saturday. Ms. Dean's going to be back at the table in the back and uh, getting numbers ready for that. Um, also, daughters and son-in-laws are invited to that also. Ms. Dean can explain more about that uh, when you go let her know that you're coming. So, uh, I think that's it. So, let's stand and continue to worship this morning.
turn with you in your Bibles to the Old Testament minor prophet of Amos. I want to look at a few verses here from a man who, whose name literally means burden bearer. One who was simple farmer, shepherd, one who had been obedient to God's call to be a prophet during a pre-exilic time. The time before they were carried into exile, God had a word for his people in Amos was the mouthpiece. I was talking to someone not long ago about a friend of theirs, an acquaintance that very healthy. You remember I mentioned not too long ago about oftentimes people die at 30 but they are buried at 70. Uh, they live a life of just emptiness until the undertaker finally comes and gets them. Well, this person had lived a good life and it had come time to retire and had all kinds of plans and all of a sudden they're diagnosed with terminal illness and literally the doctor said all we can do is try to make your last days easy. Try to provide some ease and this person said what do they do? I've been around enough situations like this to know that often they give what is known as a cancer cocktail. Something where they mix several medicines together just to try to ease the pain. During the wars, uh, the corpsmen and even other men in, uh, in the military, if they knew that it was a mortal wound, they had enough morphine. They saved it because it was very vital, but they saved it for the worst case scenarios to where they knew that person was not going to make it. And so they would give them that morphine so that they would be at ease for those last moments of life. And that's all understanding. We ought to make it as easy as possible during that time. But there was a commercial for many years not too long ago that said at this place where you do business, you can have an easy button. All you have to do is hit the easy button and everything is easy. You know, the truth is we have made our own easy buttons. We have cut corners. We have knocked the rough edges off. We have sanded and polished our lives up to where we do that which is easy. We chose the paths of least resistance. We want easy school. We want easy jobs. We want easy lives, easy families, easy food, and easy worship. I'm afraid that we have missed God. The fact that God said, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ said, look, if you follow me, it's not going to be easy. Easy religion is not real religion. Real religion is dirty. And I thank God for all of you who work in vacation Bible school. Because as I walked the halls, I heard the screaming babies. You know, I saw them throw fits. We had special needs, children. What a blessing. We, we are open to that. It's not supposed to be easy. I'll be glad when vacation Bible school is over. I'm not. It's God's tool for reaching God's children. 
God's Word. So many times, and I don't mean this toward anyone, but we, we want church to start and then get over just as quick as possible so we can say, check, I went to church. But what if God wants a word to you in the last five minutes when you've done checked out many? You shut your Bible. What if God wanted to move in your life, but you were too worried about lunch and you refused to come to an altar of surrender? I'm afraid today we chose careless comfort over God's will for our lives. And that's what I want us to look at today. Careless comfort. In Amos chapter 6, verse 1, woe. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Woe. Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. He is speaking to both the divisions of kingdoms of God's chosen people. He's speaking to Israel and to Judah. I've spoken of Amos and who he was and at what time. This is before the Babylonian exile. It's before that judgment. But Amos is telling them what's about to happen. He's telling them, woe to you who are at ease in Zion. The word woe literally means a cry of misery. It's grief or affliction. It is a cry of doom. And Amos says doom is coming. Church, I don't want to rock your boat too bad, but I want to give you some truth today. I know you hear a lot of junk in this world, and I'm not telling you this because I'm truthful, but because of the truth of God that I'm about to speak to you. It's going to get worse before it gets better. It's going to get worse before it gets better. We're living in one of the most secularized, humanistic, atheistic generations of all time. We're living as in the days of Noah. We're living in dark days. But church, I'm not telling you we are without hope. I'm telling you it's time to get out of our spiritual easy chairs. Stop with the careless comfort and get in the fight. You can't do anything until you get in the fight. And so I want us to look at this careless comfort. You see, there's three woes in chapter 5 and 6. First of all, we see in this careless comfort we have, we have become woefully ignorant because of where we live. He said, woe to them who are at ease in Zion. We call Jews Zionists. They are of the land of Zion. We know Mount Zion. We sing those songs, do we not? I mean, y'all are familiar with this geography. 
Well, we can overlay that with the family of God today. Though we are not the chosen nation, we're God's chosen people. For in that we are born again by the blood of Jesus Christ, we've been adopted, rebirthed, and grafted into the body of Christ. One who is circumcised inwardly in the heart, not outwardly in the flesh. And so it is not stretching the scripture to say that we, as them, have become at ease in Zion. And why? It's a woeful ignorance based on where we live. Look back to chapter 5, verse 18. Woe unto you that desire the day of the Lord. To what end is it for you? The day of the Lord is darkness and not light. I believe that the majority of believers in Jesus Christ believe the Lord's coming back. And I believe there's even that there, there is still a large contingent that believe He's coming back at any moment. They believe. But he said, woe unto you that are looking for it because you're not ready. What's going to happen, he said, when he comes back? What if he came back tonight? Say about 617, where's he going to find you? Where will he find you at 645 Wednesday night? Where will he find you on a Friday night or Saturday night? Teenagers, where will he find you when your parents don't know where you go? What will he find you doing or not doing? We have become ignorant of the fact he is coming back and woe to them who look for his appearing but are not ready for it. It's coming. You never know what's going to happen, do you? Thank God in heaven that the Lord's mercy and grace was with Brother Lee Smith Amen. this week. He didn't plan on getting up Friday morning having a stroke flying a helicopter and spanning. <coughs> Edward's not here today. He called me last night. He called me the day before. He didn't plan on having kidney stomach. I know Edward. Edward likes to plan things. And I can assure you that wasn't on his list. You ever have a wreck? You didn't plan on it. I mean, unless you're doing a demolition derby or something, you didn't plan on having a rest. Right gets on the tractor in the morning, goes out playing, stop planning on an implement breaking. He's planning on it working, but it breaks. You get sick. We say, I don't have time for this. I've got news for you. We are not on our time, we're on his. And when the time is right, he's going to look over at his son and say, go get them. And they'll not be, whoa, 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 whoa. Give him just one minute. There'll be no, I've got to run back and do this. I've got to do this. I've got to set this in place. Listen to me, church. We're woefully ignorant based on where we live. Why? We live in a state of safety. It's in our surroundings. Think about it. We live in the United States of America. But I'm afraid that at times we put patriotism over our Christianity. And just because we live in the United States of America does not mean God will show favor upon us unless we show our diligence and obedience to that cross. Not to a flag, 
but to the one it represents. Amen? During World War II, churches got together and had prayer meetings. And the boys in their town. That was over there fight. I watched a thing last night running on two brothers. The Ehlers. Walt Ehlers and his brother. And Walt was the younger brother and he was wanting to enlist because his older brother, his hero, had already done so. And the only way he could do it is if his mother gave him permission. And he went home and he begged his mom, please let me enlist. Can you imagine that? Now we have safe zones. And we want to go in women's bathrooms. That's the kind of 18 and 20 year olds we got now. Listen to me, young guy. Be a man. Because I'm going to tell you what, what the world's impressed with is a godly man. You know what she told me? She said, son, I will sign your enlistment papers on one condition. Only one. What do you think the mom's going to ask for? That you be assigned to the to stay in the States, that you become a quartermaster, that you know you work in the post office or you work in the chow hall or you work somewhere on the bat. That's not what she asked for. That you don't go on no boat or you don't go on any, any land. You're not going to be in the industry. She didn't do all that. She said, son, I will sign this enlistment paper if you'll promise me before God and heaven that you'll be a Christian soldier. And in his interview, 12 years ago on the 60th anniversary of D-Day, Walt Ehlers told that story and he said that it has left me and caused a lasting impression on my life even until today. That I may be a Christian soldier. He not only was a hero of faith, he was a hero for his country as he stormed those beaches only to find out his older brother, his hero, had been killed at the next beach over. But it didn't stop him. Wounded in his side, he kept fighting. He kept fighting for his country. He kept fighting for his mother. He fought for his dead brother, but more than anything, he fought for his Savior. But you see, we live in the safety of our surroundings. Well, we live in America. I got news for you. That don't impress China. It don't impress Russia. And apparently it doesn't impress North Korea or Iran anymore. It does not impress a fanatical ideology that says all Americans and all Christians are the great Satan and infidel whose head needs to be blocked off. Church, we need to wake up and we need to pray for our Southern Baptist Convention. Because we have some at the top that have believed that in promoting religious equality so that we protect our own, we ought to sign a piece of paper encouraging our uh, uh, certain areas to allow Muslims to build mosques. We have literally joined forces. My brother called me. He's an independent Baptist. He said, somebody told me that Southern Baptists were helping build mosques. And I told him that's crazy. But I want to hear what you guys alive. No. And then I read the article. Now we're not giving them money, but we put our name on a piece of paper that says 
You need to let them do it. Church, I got news for you. Muslims are not religious fanatics. They're idolaters, demigods who believe in a false god. And it is not about their religion. And it's not, I don't care which president and what speaker tells you it's a religion of peace. It is about death and destruction. And we better wake up from our surroundings because it's coming to a town near you. Happened in Orlando this morning. 20 dead. Thank God for some police officers said, I don't care what the FBI, they wouldn't be here if it wasn't terrorism. But they're right over there. You can call it workplace violence or you can call it a nut job that had a gun. This is terrorism. This is Islamic, radical terrorism. We better call it what it is. Because they hate us. And we need to get out of this idea that we have safety in our surroundings, in our, our country. Or, hey, we live in the South. I've got news for you. South's not the Bible Belt anymore. No. Y'all watch the news at night? You see what goes on? And it was. I've been, I've been living here for four and a half years. And it was just south side of Savannah. Shooting. You'd have 17 shootings in 18 days. And now we got murder suicides of 17, 18, 20 year olds in Statesburg. We have random thug killings in Hinesville. And it's closing on in, closing on in, closing on in. Church, we need to wake up. Stop living in a woeful ignorance based on, well, we live in Claxton. Everything's going to be all right. I mean, we're country boys. I mean, we can survive. You like that, dude? Ain't we as you? Shotgun rifle and four wheel drive. I don't have a four wheel drive anymore. I got the rest. But you know what? There's no safety outside the arms of God. They were the children of Israel, for heaven's sake. They were the God, listen, they were the people of David. Y'all remember what David did in the Valley of Mila? We still talk about it today. Did he not kill the giant? Did David kill the giant? All right. Did, did Samson not kill a thousand with a jawbone of a donkey? I mean, he did that, right? Did Noah not build an ark that saved his family and all the animals? You know, the, the ones that God told him. Did he not do that? That's the same God we trust in today. But we're living in this woeful ignorance of our surroundings, not our Savior. It's not our country. It's not our community. And listen, it's not our church. I talk to people all the time. Like I said, I've lived here four and a half years. I've lived here long enough to meet just about everybody. And I don't think I've met anybody yet, almost, that haven't come to Eastside or are not still members of Eastside. That's the truth. But where they at? And, I, and look, it used to be that they'd be embarrassed. They're not embarrassed anymore. Well, my membership's down there. Why don't you come and I I got too much other things to do. We'll get to that in a minute. But we're living in a woeful ignorance thinking. 
God has turned a blind eye to our false sense of safety and security based on our surroundings, our country, our community, our church, and this false sense of security in our kingdoms. We build our kingdom, our, our, our business. When I was a teenager, my, when I was a teenager, my dad said, you need to get a job. And I live 10 miles from Marietta, 25 miles from downtown Atlanta. He said, you need to get a job in the government, preferably go to Lockheed. Lockheed built C5, C130s, you know, they built all the F18s and F16s and they built all that stuff. And a lot of my friends, days, and even my friends went to work for Lockheed. He said, even when they lay you off, you're gonna make 90%. Get some security, so I go to work at Lockheed. Can't get on there, go to Doraville and work on building cars, the GM plant. Or go to Hankville and build floors. Get a job like that, there's safety and security. Lockheed almost builds nothing up there anymore. It's still there, but most of the building is done in California. I rode by the old Norville plant yesterday and I told my children, I said, they used to build cars right there. And it was just piles of busted up concrete as far as the eye could see. Hateful plant's been closed for I don't know how long. It's all gone. There is no safety and security in this world. Jesus is the only answer. Do you know why Jesus told his disciples, look, take one jacket. You don't need two coats. Don't talk you. Don't pack your pockets full of money and food. You live day to day just like my children did in the wilderness because you've got to learn to depend on me, not yourself in this world. How many of you, I don't raise your hand, but you nod. In 2000, 2001, saw your 401k disappear. I'm serious. We thought, man, that thing is booming. In, in mutual funds, 401k was going out the roof and then boom, the dot-com era was over. And billionaires had to get a job. Literally, overnight. Church, the only safety and security is found in the arms of Jesus. We need to realize it's not found in our kingdom. What we have done, and in our traditions, Look, they said, look what we've done. They, they did the same thing, but they thought it was all about them. We have King David. We have Solomon. Look at the stables. Look at the temple. God's not going to leave us. I got news for you. God created it. God carried that. They've had multiple temples. They have meetings. Somebody asked me about the different gates in the walls around Jerusalem. I said, which set of gates are you talking about? And which walls? Because the ones that's there now was not there in the days of Jesus. You remember, you walk in the Damascus Gate. When you walk in the Damascus Gate now, you look down about 20-something feet, and they have dug out, and it's, it's usable, but Gentiles don't go down there. They say that one for where Orthodox Jews go in now. They've got a little thing going on down there. That's the gate Jesus walked in now. Down there. But the gate up here is almost 2,000 years newer. And there were some gates before that one down there. 
They came in and burnt the city and tore it down over and over and over again because our security is not found in things and traditions. Well, we're bad. We have fought for 20 years over hymnals and power. I know churches still. Thank goodness we don't do this. Can I just brag on this side just a minute? We don't do this. But I know churches right now still fussing over putting up a PowerPoint projector in the sanctuary. Really? I guess you don't have any TV screens at your house. <laughs> or laptops or any computerized. You're straight up on it. Oh, we've got a double standard, don't we? Yeah. Hypocrisy. The church, even though we may not have a problem, we live in the traditionalism of saying, Brother Matt didn't do it like he did it. We didn't we don't we don't sing like we used to do. We don't have Sunday school like we used to do. Well you know what? Maybe there is some things that we need to do again, but there's some things needs to change. If methods change, the message remains the One of the greatest theological songs is A Mighty Fortress is Our God. Y'all know that song? You know who wrote it? Martin Luther. In the 1500s. And when Martin Luther wrote the song, he just wrote the words. You know how the music came along? It was a German beer garden song. It was music that was used in, in the beer halls. Kind of a polka type song. That, that it was their, their music. And he said these godly words to it. Can I be real honest with you? I love to read the words. I hate hearing It just, it don't do anything for me. There used to be some old songs that I literally put on the forbid list when I was pastoring before. I don't like tearjerker songs. <coughs> I know. I don't want to hear if I could hear my mother pray again. I don't want to hear that. I just don't. Some of you do. It doesn't make me right and you wrong or vice versa. We have differences of opinion. But what we do know, and what we should stand on is the gospel of Jesus Christ that He came from heaven, loved us so much that He gave His sinless life on a cross. And is resurrected, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us today so that we do not have to continue to live in sin any longer. Come out and be a separate from the Savior. There's no need in living in woe. If your life is not everything it should be, if it's not everything it's cracked up to be, if there's just something you know is missing because you're trying to fulfill it with vacation and money and ball and work and recreation and friendships and, and, and all the other things in this world, listen to me. Our kingdoms will all fall. The kingdom of God will be the only one in the end that will stand. You know the average life of a worldly kingdom is only 400 years? Based on how you look, on, look at it, though we were not constituted with a declaration of independence or our founding documents until about 240 years ago, America, North America, has existed for about 400 years. The Roman government lasted about 400 years. The Mede Persians, 400 years. The Babylonians, 400 years. 
Church is not in our security. It's in the Lord. You see, we have this careless comfort. Woe. Woe unto them. We have become woefully ignorant because of where we live. Then, we have become woefully indifferent because of how we live. He said, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. It never ceases to amaze me people taking pictures of food to put on social media. <laughs> Look what I mean. I'm glad you're not starving. It's food. I mean, we're, we're amazed at this. But look, how we live tells something about who we serve. Where will you spend the majority? There's 168 hours this morning. Started this morning at midnight. You got to Saturday night if the Lord hadn't come back. You got 168 hours. And when it's all tallied up, when you look back on it, ask yourself, who did I serve this week? Did I serve myself? Or did I serve God? Because what happens is we live, we live trying to put ourselves at ease. We work more, work more, work more so that we can be at ease. My boss at the county work, work. he was a, a retired colonel in the United States Army, got a great retirement, then went to work for the county, and when he retired six months later, I was standing beside his graveside. He didn't enjoy any of it. His life was over. Because he worked, 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 worked. Problem <coughs> for a Christian is we become woefully, woefully indifferent. Just, we're indifferent about it. Things don't shock us anymore. <coughs> they don't. I mean, are you surprised? I mean, 20 killed in a nightclub in Orlando, not in Dubai, not, you know, not in Bali, not in Germany, in Orlando. That's in Florida. It's like three and a half, four hours from here. Five, I drive all the faster than That's the home of Mickey Mouse. Right now, as I watched the news this morning, they said inside that room lays 20 bodies still being reviewed from what went on just a few hours ago. A couple whose co-workers had thrown them a baby shower walked in and killed all these people who had given them this baby shower based on their hog from San Bernardino, California. A psychologist who was paid by the United States of America walked into his fellow soldiers that he promised to protect and defend as brothers and killed teens. Several of them at Fort Hood, Texas. Church, we see this and we're like, oh, just another killer. You ever thought, that's somebody's mama? That's somebody's 
Daddy, somebody's brother. There's a mom and daddy grieving somewhere. Let us not become so cold and callous that we have complacency in our lives. Warren Wiersbe said, complacency is an insidious sin because it's based on lies, motivated by pride, and leads to trusting something other than God. I got news for you. I know who I'm going to vote for, but I'm not placing my faith and hope and trust in the future in their lives. I'm going to trust the God of the United States of America. I'm going to trust the God of the universe. Amen. Amen. I'm still going to vote. And I'm not going to say lesser to evils because I don't believe God promotes us doing that which we constitute being evil. What they do is stand before God, and you know how I feel about it. But listen to me. We have got to fight evil every chance. And if there's somebody that will put somebody on the Supreme Court that will stand for the life of an unborn child versus one who won't, guess who my mother is? <coughs> who will stand and protect those of us and our, our military and our first responders to carry sidearms versus the other who don't except for the ones who's protecting her? Guess who I'm going to vote for? Church, stop being complacent in the things right in front of us. Wake up. This world, as Jesus told Peter, is satanic and it is seeking to have us that it may sift us as we. You know why we have been relegated to the sidelines? Because for too long we've been at ease anxiety. We come to church, we sing. Hallelujah, revive us again, victory in Jesus, and live like the most defeated army in the world when we walk outside those doors. We bash each other, we're full of envy and strife, and we fire the preachers, the deacons are fighting amongst themselves, and the women are gossiping, and the children are, are bringing reproach on their families. It's happening all over the church of the living God. It's time we live like Christ, look like Christ, and tell the world who He is. Does that mean we'll be perfect? No, you know the old story. We're not perfect. We're forgiven. But that doesn't mean because we're forgiven we can live any kind of way we want. We're complacent. It don't bother us. Bible's good. I mean, come on. We don't know those kids. They won't come on church. They, they sure ain't going to tithe. You know what? God didn't call us to save tithers. God didn't call us to save members. God called us to tell the gospel to the lost and dying world. He'll have him ready. <coughs> Stop being complacent. Just think, well, this is not filled with dreams. We're living in a world filled with screams. And they're screaming, show me something. Tell me something. And don't just tell me Jesus loves me. Tell me there is a Jesus. You gotta, you gotta know how to give an answer to every man that has to hold the Stop blaming it on the preacher, the Sunday school teachers, and the deacons. They got a job to do, but if you're born again, you ought to know that Bible too. You ought to know it. You ought to be able to tell somebody why you believe in God. You ought to be able to tell them why tolerance is not of God. Compromise. That old pit of hell smells like smoke. Stand on truth. Do not give in. Know what you believe in. Amen? 
some little gypsy villages at the foothills of the Transcarpathian Mountain. But look, when you walk in, you tell them, hey, we're here to bring great tidings, or good tidings of great joy. They look and they said, yeah. That's what Hitler said. That's what Stalin said. That's what everybody else has said. We believe it when we see it. And I saw a look of cynicism on their face that I've never seen before. You know what it kind of looks like? Americans. We've heard all the promises. Oh, we're going to lower your taxes. We're going to give you more bang for your buck. We're going to make life better than it's ever been before. And just to even the playing field for some of you who may think I'm leaving too heavy politically, we hear too much of I'm going to make America great again. I'm going to tell you the only one's going to make America great again. Name starts with a J, ends with an Jesus, and finishes with Christ. Amen. Y'all with me? Y'all followed that spelling up there. Jerry Wiggins wrote that out for me. <laughs> yeah, but let me think. Woefully, remember what woe means. Cry of doom. There's a cry of doom because of the indifference based on how we live in complacency and inconsistency. Look, carnality. What, what does the Bible say about one tree or one fountain? Can one tree bear two different kinds of fruit? Ray, what you been putting in the ground? Soybeans? Peanuts? Good. <coughs> you know what? When Ray goes out there to harvest them, he's not going to look to turn them. Well, I, that's funny. I know it's funny. It sounds stupid. But why do we keep sowing sinfulness and expecting God to bless us in righteousness? That's even dumb. To think that we can say that we're the fellow of life in Jesus Christ and everything that spews out of our mouth is evil, lying, backstabbing, filthy, worldly carnality. See, you can't do it. If you're a tree of life, then you will live like life. If you're a fountain of Christ, then you'll bring forth sweet water. But that fountain cannot put forth sweet and bitter at the same time. You know what he just said? We cannot be bipolar in our Christianity. I'm not saying there's you don't you can't be bipolar. There's there's medical, but I'm saying your spirituality can't be. You can't live like Christ and against Christ at the same time. Can't do it. So we have become woefully indulgent when we love this world. He said in chapter 6, verse 3. Ye that put far away the evil day and cause the seed of violence to come near, that lie upon bed of ivory and stretch them upon their couches and eat the lambs of the flock, the calves out of the midst of the stalk. You live in big, you live in large. Chant to the sound of the violence. Oh man, we loving all this modern stuff. Invent to themselves instruments of music like David. They drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. We have become woefully indulgent when we love prosperity over the things of God. There's people, look, we went visiting. I told you this last night. 
we went visiting some obstacles. I was blown away at the third world country in this There's people here that know what I'm talking about, that work every day. Church, thank God. How much money we raised for Shell this week? Roughly? Close to $800, and we had a bunch of other food. That won't last long for a bunch of hungry folks. There are people who need it. I've worked at food bank. I've volunteered them. And there are people who are depending on this. Church, you can't tell them how to be saved if they're dead from hunger and starvation. Well, we're worried about our prosperity. I know churches right now say, well, preacher, we can't spend any of that money. They got hundred thousand dollar CDs. Well, we just we're, we we want to keep that up in case something happens. What do you what like rapture? What are you gonna do with a hundred thousand dollar CD? God didn't call us to be banks. He called us to be outlets, to be conduits of God's goodness. And when it comes in, we ought to be giving out, serving, reaching, ministering. I'm not talking about being stupid. I think we ought to keep a reserve. In case something goes bad, any of you sat upstairs last Sunday? Uh -uh. Amen for a little reserve right there. Listen, prosperity. What? That's the only one Jesus ever called us for. He called the religious crowd a bunch of serpents, a bunch of vipers. But he called the man who was living in prosperity a rich food. You see, some things we call blessings, but they're really curses. Because these things become idols when they take the place of the others. It reminds me of the church at Laodicea. That last church in Revelation, chapter 33, verse 17. Because you say, I am rich and increased with goods and have needed and have needed nothing. And know not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked, church. You may think you got it all together, but in the eyes of God, you're just a broken down beggar. Because you're living off the prosperity of this world and vanish as a beggar. The richest people I've ever known are the people who trusted in Christ. Mission field, pastors who had nothing on this side. They knew they were right where God wanted them to be. Church, we have become woefully indulgent when we love sensuality. And I'm talking about what pleases our senses. Can I tell you, we had to go up to Atlanta this weekend for some ball games. We got to be with my family, my parents' son. Friday, we were playing over in Parkview in Gwinnett County, and right off right off the Stone Mountain Freeway by the mountain. Mom and Daddy came over to watch Ethan play. I said, we're going to Carson. They said, well, ain't no use to get back on there. They said, let's just get on 78. We did. We drove right straight downtown. And may I say, I ain't done this. You ever hear been to Carson? Y'all never been to Carson? If you've been to Carson, you'd be proud to be like, hallelujah, amen. That's of God. I mean, chili slaw dog, chili steak, onion rings, two fried peach pies, and a large frosted orange. Amen. I indulged. My, my senses just walking 
just seeing the the closer I mean it was like getting close to the promised land I was almost there I pulled up, the guy tried to motion me. I said, oh no, I'm going to go far. Because I'm going to go sit down in air conditioning and enjoy myself. You see, we have become woefully, woefully indulgent. When we base our faith on temporal desires and achievements over eternal matters of God. What please, well that looks good. That sounds good. That tastes good. You know what? That usually gets hurt on. What did you have to teach your kids when they're little? Things that appeal to the eye may cause you harm. They want to touch a mouse trap, a red hot stove, right? You had to teach them, don't do that, it'll hurt you. Well, listen to me, believers. We need to wake up and realize. We've got to listen to our spiritual sense, not our physical sense. Those things are bad. So what are we losing? What's happening? He said in verse 7, Therefore now shall they go captive with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. The Lord God hath sworn by himself, said the Lord, the God of hosts, I have borne the excellency of Jacob, and I hate his palaces. Therefore will I deliver up the city with all that's therein. And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, they shall die. What are we losing, church? We're losing our passion. We're losing our passion for Christ and His Word. Losing true worship. Where we come, we don't worry about what people say. We don't worry about what people think. We just worship the One who created us. We're losing our passion based on our ease in Zion. We don't want to stand up. We don't want to show up. We don't want to kneel down. We just want to sit there and do it the way we want to do it. We're losing our passion for Christ. We're losing our purpose for Christ. And His witness, God, has called us out to be a different people. Look different. Act different. Sound different. Talk different. Live different, church. We're losing we are the church of the living God. We're not an organization. We're an organism. Organizations come and go. Organisms live and breathe. We are the body of Christ. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Don't lose your passion. Don't lose your purpose in Christ. He's called you to be a godly mama. Don't sell that out. He's called you to be a godly daddy. A godly teenager. A godly leader. world. We're losing our progress. Every year for the last eight to ten years, baptism in the Southern Baptist Convention has gone down. We're losing our progress in Christ and His work. God's got a purpose for our life. And He's got a work to be accomplished. He said you have not because you ask not. Number one, we need to start praying. And prayer takes work, doesn't it? We need to pray. And then we need to do what God's called us to do. Because He said in verse 9, Though there be ten men in the house, they'll all die. That shows us there's no escape from the judgment of God. You may think you're incrementally better than someone else. Well, I'm going to die. 
Well, my daddy wasn't either. My mama was a Sunday school teacher for 73 years. Taught <coughs> it doesn't matter what she did. Because look, if the church is at ease inside of judgment, it's coming. It's coming. So church, what will it be? Careless comfort? Careful. Diligent. Care. What God's called us. Right now, Timmy, if you'll come. Lane. Him. Invitation. Now, if I didn't care, the boy preached was hard this morning. Look, if I didn't care, I would have said, So bless God, he'll get out of the easy chair or just die in the misery of God's judgment. Slam a Bible down, had a word of prayer left. But I know every time God would work and forgive and speak to Abram and Abraham on through, when they did, they would bend down, they would take rocks and they'd build an altar. God had met with them. This is what we constitute as an altar. We built these kneeling benches over here to try to help. We've got the stairs and wherever else. And I'm going to tell you something. We've gotten out of the idea that we need to come to talk to the Lord. I'm going to tell you, church, God is honored by our faithfulness when He calls us to an altar of repentance and acknowledgement, an altar of decision saying, today I have decided I'm going to trust Him and not my own easy chair. I have tried to do it my own way too long. It's time that I trust Him as my Lord and Savior. You'll die and go to heaven without Him. You need to come and say, well, I don't think you need to be baptized. It doesn't matter what you think. God knows my heart. God knows you in a rebellious heart. If you don't obey Him in believer's baptism, if you need to be in this church, join this church, you've been saved and baptized, but God wants you to work here. You need to come to this altar. There's something... You may be in leadership here, but your life is not what it should be. You're living at ease inside. You can feel the woe right now with God. I can remember. I can remember when my dad had quadruple bypass. We all sat there in the hallway walking up and down, me and my brothers and my wives and my mother walking up and down the hall pacing. Praying, <coughs> sitting, laying, when Dr. Lee, still remember his name, walked out, looked me in the eyes. He said, I'm Dr. Lee, I did your father's surgery. It all went well. There's going to be some dark days now. Dad's going to be okay. That was great news. Great news when Fox took care of him. Relief. Today, look. Your life is clotted up. As you, 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 this morning had your heart ripped out. You feel like you're suffocating by all the things of the world. That ease has sucked you in. And today, you just need to hear some good news. I got good news for you. Jesus said, I will forgive you. Set you free. She got to come. You'd look, Dad would have died if he wouldn't have went down there and had sir. Come let God do heart surgery. Come trust. With your life, stand and come. Stand and come. He's pleading you, not me. Jesus asked you to come. No more evils. Bowing here. Bowing here. Find your rest. I find my rest. <coughs>